Long time no see. What's up, everyone? This is the New England Gothic. I just want to start off by saying I am so sorry that I took an unexpectedly longer break than I had announced. To be quite frank, I'm just, you know, I'm honest with you all. I feel like I can talk to you. I am going through a major breakup. Everyone's doing okay. I'm totally fine. But as I'm sure you're aware, those types of major life changes just kind of throw, what's the saying? I don't know. My life's just a little bit uh, more interesting than it has been. So I'm a little thrown off schedule wise and figuring out kind of where to go from here. And that's just where I'm at. I just wanted to be honest with you all. So I am trying my best to get back into regular weekly episodes, but it's just going to be a little bit rocky podcast wise for a moment for me, just because like I've mentioned on here before, this takes a lot of work and effort and time and energy, and it involves me sitting down in my living room for hours with complete silence. So with these types of life changes going on, and also it's summer and I live in a super loud neighborhood, to be honest, it's already eight o'clock here and there are still kids running around screaming their head off. So things are just, I got to figure some stuff out here to be able to keep the podcast going full speed ahead or whatever. That being said, I love you all so much. I miss you all. I'm also going to be tackling a little bit lighter episodes just because I don't have the time right now that I normally have to deep dive and give these cases and stories the research and writing they deserve. So because I'm going through a breakup, I'm feeling a little bit cheeky right now. I just ate an entire box of Girl Scout cookies for dinner because, you know, when your life is, um, I don't want to be dramatic. When your life is just weird, you know, and nothing makes sense, you're not going to the grocery store. Like, let's be real. You're eating a box of Girl Scout cookies for dinner and falling asleep with your dog on the couch. So that being said, I'm feeling a little salty about love today. So we're going to cover a really interesting murder case that is also a love triangle. It is a love story gone wrong. So, you know, I'm not trying to make light of an actual murder or anything. It just, you know, it felt right to cover at this time. So So today we are covering the bizarre shotgun murder of a man named George Gould, and this murder took place in Vermont in the late 1880s. So unfortunately, there's not a lot of information on this case. I was looking for more information on the murder victim himself, which I cannot seem to find any information I can verify online as for a birth date, birthplace, or anything like that. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. I'm not trying to not honor the victim in this story's life. I just cannot find any information. In general, there's not a lot out there. I got all of my information from the Vermont Digger in an article written by Mark Bushnell. So let's dive into this deadly love triangle story that takes place in East Montpelier, Vermont. Our story and our love triangle center around a woman named Laura Cutler. Laura Cutler, according to the math I'm doing based on this article, was born in the 1850s. So Laura Cutler grows up on a farm in East Montpelier and is the only child of Willard and Fanny Cutler. 
By the time Laura was a teenager, the Cutlers hired a man to work and live on their farm, and his name was James Sherman Caswell. And he had started working there after he had gotten out of the army he had fought in the Civil War where he had been injured. He very quickly became like a part of the family, and they all lovingly referred to him as Sherm. So Sherm and Laura, you know, as the old story goes, fall in love. But Sherm is eight years older than Laura, who was a teenager when they met. But I'm going to keep my comments to myself because this is the 1880s. And yeah, we all know how that goes. So Laura and Sherm are in love. And this romance starts at a young age for her. And by the time she is grown up, he asks to marry her. And unfortunately, her father refuses. There's no real reason given. He just refused. And unfortunately, when both of her parents die, Laura still refuses to marry Sherm. So even though her parents are now out of the way, there's no one to say that they can't get married, she won't marry him. Despite the fact that they still live together, now they are living alone together on this property, which again at that time is seen as a questionable thing. Because it was so questionable in society standards for a young unmarried woman to live alone with a man, they invite an elderly woman named Phoebe Perry to live on the property with them. As Sherm gets older and his injuries worsen from the Civil War, he decides he actually really needs to hire some help for the farm. So he hires a man in 1888 named George Gould, who at the time was 35. He was two years younger than Laura, so Laura's 37 at this time, and 10 years younger than Sherm, so that means Sherm is 45 at this point in time. George Gould was described as being 5'6", with short hair parted in the middle, and a curly little mustache that he would, you know, curl up at the end. Sounds charming! So apparently Laura's just so charming, and every man that steps on the farm falls in love with her, and, you know... So George falls in love with her as well. And apparently this attraction was mutual because by the end of the next summer, he asks Laura to marry him and she says absolutely yes. So of course, Sherm, who has wanted to marry Laura since she was a teenager, Sherm's not really happy about this situation. Sherm claimed that Laura had absolutely no right to marry another man as they had lived together for more than 20 years. Laura was quoted as saying, Sherm, were we ever married? Have I got to get a divorce from you before I can marry anyone else? She seems very sassy. So, you know, Sherm would try to argue against this marriage. He was completely against it. He told Laura that his army pension would cover the farm's debt. He said that if she married George, who has no money, they would lose the farm. And he would also get drunk and threaten to kill George. But Laura did not take these threats seriously. On the day of her wedding to George, Laura sat down with Sherm and they said, this will be our last meal we share together. The next day after the wedding, Laura returns to the farm with her new husband at about 11 o'clock. The elderly Phoebe Perry and a teenage girl from the farm next door who had stayed the night to look after her told Laura that Sherm was upstairs and was very drunk. I think George sensed that there was some trouble headed his way because he had brought his revolver to the farm and he stuck around while Laura went to go check on Sherm. 
So Laura changed out of her wedding clothes and prepared to cook dinner. George took off his coat and switched from his formal wear to his work wear and just headed out to the woodshed to gather kindling for the stove. I guess that's just what you did off after a farm wedding, you know, put on your fancy clothes, head back into the farm, put on your work wear, we're making a fire, we're cooking dinner. It is what it is. Kind of quaint and nice. Unfortunately for George, he would not make it back from that trip out to get firewood. Mere moments after exiting the farmhouse, George would be shot by a shotgun, and Laura would hear ghastly screams coming from outside. Initially, George survived the shotgun blast. He had been about to re-enter the house when Sherm leaned out of a window upstairs and fired the shotgun down at him. Quick trigger warning, I am going to be discussing George's shotgun injuries, so if you do not want to hear this description, I would fast forward about 30 seconds to a minute. So because of the way the shotgun was angled and the type of shot it was, the shot struck George in the face, so his left cheek, it tore away teeth and part of his upper lip, nose and chin, and his jaw was broken. The shot also kind of scattered and pierced the right side of his chest, so he had broken ribs and he had torn holes in his liver and lung. But he survived this initially, like I said. He didn't even fall down. He dropped the kindling in his hand, grabbed his face, and ran for the road. And he crossed the road before falling into the grass. Three men who had been working at a nearby quarry came running. They found George struggling to his feet. He refused their help, standing and falling twice. George tried to speak despite his face being absolutely mangled, and he cried out in pain while these men tried to help him. The men did what they could to save George, but unfortunately he did not make it and he bled out within a half an hour. Meanwhile, back at the farmhouse, because remember, Sherm shot George from the home. There was obviously a major commotion and the women, you know, they ran up to see what was going on. And apparently Phoebe screamed, I am so sorry that you have shot George. And Sherm replied, so am I. Laura went outside to see what was going on and all she could find was blood spatter and kindling dropped everywhere. Sherm decided to head to a neighbor's house and ask for a ride into the city so that he could turn himself in as George lay dying. Sherm was very obviously guilty of murdering George in cold blood. You know, there was no doubt about it. Multiple witnesses, he turned himself in. And people claim that he did turn himself in, not because he felt bad, but he just wanted to get a life sentence instead of the death sentence. So to do that, his lawyers would have to show that this crime was an act of passion and not a premeditated murder. So the trial for the murder wouldn't be held for months, and Sherman and Laura both agreed to interviews just days after the murder. This is where things start to get a little interesting. So Sherm claims that he descended into madness the day that Laura left for his wedding. He had considered packing everything and just moving away. He considered killing himself. Many details were a blur, and he didn't even remember lifting the shotgun to fire it. This is according to him. He had not loaded the gun to shoot George. He had loaded it 10 days earlier, he claims, when his dog had a squirrel trapped in a tree but he changed his mind? That's his defense. 
He also claims that him and Laura had actually been engaged and he had bought her a dress. They just hadn't gotten around to getting married. He claimed that she was just as much my wife as she can be of any man and has been for 20 years. I mean, in his defense, I feel like they really did have this husband and wife relationship. She just wouldn't marry him. So I'm not, there's no justification for the murder, but it just seems like, I don't know, Laura's like out here playing the field a little bit. Literally, because they live on a farm, huh? Uh, uh, uh. Laura, however, claims that they were definitely not married. They had never been intimate. And he just always was like her escort to events and that they just lived together for 20 years. They were roommates, if you will. So the trial for the murder of George Gould began in late March of 1890. Laura testified and her testimony shocked everyone in the audience. So Laura, despite this entire time saying me and Sherm are just roommates, historically, we're historically roommates. If you know, you know. I know like my grandma listens to this. She's not going to get the reference, but anywho. So in the courthouse, she's asked from the latter part of the year, 1867, is it not true that your relations with Sherman Caswell were that of a wife towards her husband? And without hesitation, Laura replied, yes. And it seemed that everyone in the courtroom just screamed, basically. They were quoted as simultaneously arising in their seats and sitting back down again. So Laura said those, quote, relations continued until about two months before she married George Gould. A man who worked occasionally on the farm said that he always supposed by the actions of Sherman and Laura that they were indeed married. So. Yeah, she's admitting that she basically has, um, like, two boyfriends. Good for her, you know? I think that, like, if this had happened in modern times, it would have ended a little bit better because people are a little bit more open-minded. So during his testimony, Sherm just claimed, you know, he had loved Laura for over two decades, and the thought of Gould taking her away just made him lose his mind. And I don't think we'll ever really know the motives behind Laura just... I don't know, just not taking Sherm seriously, even though they had been in love for 20 years and why she just suddenly married George Gould over him. But anyway, you would think that's the end of the story, right? That that's the end of the drama. No, there's more. There is more drama. Laura is a drama magnet. So the trial does end in Sherm's favor. They used him being an injured Civil War veteran to his advantage. There had been another famous case with a another veteran from Gettysburg getting away with a murder or getting off lighter with a murder. So the jury decided that Sherm had been driven temporarily insane by jealousy. Sherm had successfully avoided the death penalty and was sentenced to life. He was convicted of second-degree murder, and he was sent to Vermont State Prison in Windsor, Vermont. So like I said, that is not the end of the story. There is more coming. Just three weeks later, Sherm had gotten his wish. Laura marries him. The couple holds hands through the cellar doors. It's so cinematic. It's like in a very just dark, twisted way, probably romantic to somebody. So a justice of the peace marries them at the jailhouse. And newspapers and the press, of course, go off on Laura, justifiably, because. 
I don't know. I'm trying to stay neutral. I'm not trying to bash another woman, but poor George. What did George do to deserve this? Anywho, people in general just found it inappropriate that not even 24 hours after her husband was murdered, Laura was visiting the murderer in jail and doing whatever she could to help him out, make him comfortable, make sure that he was going to get away with it. A year and a half after Sherm's conviction, Laura actually sued him for divorce. According to the newspapers, she wanted a divorce because her new husband had failed to... Here it is, drumroll please. Share his military pension with her, as he had allegedly promised. Her lawyer also claimed that she was entitled to a divorce because her husband was, quote, civilly dead. Under Vermont law, people were entitled to a divorce if their spouse was sentenced to more than seven years in prison. Okay, so are you ready for the real reason why Sherm refused to pay his military pension and why Laura filed for divorce? Because you thought that the spicy part of this story was them getting married in jail after the trial. But you would be wrong. Because Laura, I don't know what she's got going on, but Laura decides to start seeing and living with a relative of her dead husband. She moves him in. It's now a love quadrilateral at this point. Like a square, it's a cube. I don't know. It's more than a triangle. So Laura's living with her new boo, Lucius Gould. I think I pronounced that correctly. And um, actually, 12 years after he was sentenced, Sherm was released for his good behavior and his, quote, military heroism. So he was pardoned by the governor at the time. But him and Laura would never reunite because now she's with Lucius Gould. A relative, it's unclear exactly how they're related, but a relative of her dead husband, George Gould, who Sherm killed. So much drama. If I'm ever worried about my love life, I'm going to think about this story, okay? That's too much. So as for Laura, she, you know, spends another two decades of her life with another man she never married. She spends the rest of her life with this man and is listed as his housekeeper. But... Throughout this court trial, her marriage to Caswell was, you know, set in stone. So she was unable to ever legally divorce him, and she did die, Laura Caswell. So, damn, I mean, Laura's got something going on. I don't know. But that is the story. It is a horrible, twisted love triangle turned love square. I don't know. Very dramatic. Very sad. R.I.P. George. That sounds horrible. Again, we're not trying to make light of anyone's horrific murder. I wish there was more information about George. Um, I'm very curious on the Lucius, who she ended up with, how they were related. Um, yeah, that's the story. It is a very interesting, dramatic tale. I don't know what these Victorian-era women had going on, because I can't even get one guy to want to marry me, let alone three men... And all this violence and drama, it's, it's wild. I don't want that. Just saying. That's toxic. That's very toxic. Nobody should want that. This is not romantic. If you think this is romantic, seek a therapist. Maybe BetterHelp will sponsor me. Who knows? That would have been perfect ad placement, though. Um, if you find this story romantic, and if you are looking for a love like this, try BetterHelp, because you have issues you need to unpack. 
Anywho, that's the story for today. It's horrible. Rest in peace, George. That's awful. Don't kill someone over anyone. Uh, don't lead a man on for 20 years. I don't know. Be better to each other. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't have any announcements or anything. I obviously took like a three-week break. I am really... No promises, everyone, okay? I'm kind of going through it. But I am trying to get back to weekly. My life's feeling a little bit more normal. It's just been a weird couple weeks. If anything, it'll be every other week but I really, really, really am trying to do weekly again. I just don't know if I'll be able to handle any really in-depth, deeper cases right now that are, you know, longer, more research, whatever. But in the meantime, you all know where to find me. If you don't, I'm on Instagram, the New England Gothic. My personal TikTok is creepy Caitlin. I spell Caitlin, C-A-I-T-L-I-N. And I am still gathering listener lore submissions. I have plenty. I've been waiting to get a co-host to do that episode with me. I've said that a thousand times. No one has the same schedule as me. So you know what? I think I might just do it on my own at this point. Screw it. So if you have a paranormal story or a any sort of creepy tale at all, like a local legend from your town, something spooky that happened to you, just send it in. It doesn't have to be New England. I've got a lot of amazing stories for listener lore. and. Yeah, you know, we're all going through it. If you're going through it, reach out, email me, DM me. I will be there for you. I will be listening ear. You all have been so supportive. Seriously, obviously people noticed I wasn't releasing episodes on a normal schedule. I had a few of you reach out. That means so much to me. It really, really does. And I love you all. I'm looking forward to getting this back on track. Let's, let's, I need something like, like exciting to focus on right now. Let's build this back up. We've got this. We're a team. All right. All my spooky friends. I love you all so much. Have a wonderful day, evening, wherever you are. And I will see you next time on the New England Gothic.